Ephesians uh, chapter 3, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 14. We are continuing our series, uh, Prayers with Paul. And uh, we're looking, last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 1. Today we're looking at chapter 3, uh, another prayer that Paul prays over this congregation. Hear the word of the Lord. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And then Paul will end this chapter. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege that we have to just now spend a few minutes together in your word. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments together that you would just begin to speak to our minds, speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal your character to us in greater ways than you ever have before. And Lord, as Paul prays this prayer over this church, we pray this prayer with him, asking God that you would take us deeper, that you would, um, on this journey that we are on, that you would allow us to grow and become more and more like you. And Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would help me to speak your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity. God, help me to decrease and help you to increase and be the focus of our time together this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John Ortberg, he was an author, a speaker, former pastor. He told this story. He said, we were with friends at an open air street fair when we spotted a mechanical bull tries to buck people off. The guy that was operating the bull said, watching it isn't nearly as fun as riding it. So I told the bull operator that I wanted to ride, and he took one look at my middle-aged body and asked, are you sure? Now that guaranteed that I would not back down. Any, any stubborn people like that in here, if there's a challenge in front of you, you're going to accept the challenge this man did. He explained to me that the bull has 12 levels of difficulty. Might not be easy, he said, but the key is you have to stay centered on the bull. You have to follow the bull. You have to shift your center of gravity as the bull moves. So I got on the bull and it started slow and then it started to move a bit faster and jostling around and I was holding on real tight. And then I remembered his advice. So I loosened up and it kept moving faster and jolting and bucking and jumping. And I was hanging on sideways and my arms were flailing around all over the place. I just hung on and finally the bull slowed down and it stopped and I was still on the bull. It wasn't pretty, but I made it. I imagined how surprised the operator of the bull would be that I had triumphed. So I looked over at him and 
he looked over at me shaking his head and he smiled and said, nice job. That was level one. (laughs) (laughs) This this story, I don't just tell that to you to uh, get a few laughs this morning, but this story, I think if we really pick it apart, depicts perfectly, I believe, the faith journey that we are all on. I think all of us would agree this morning that, that our walk with Christ, that this faith journey that we are on, it is a process. It is a journey. It is ongoing. There are moments where that journey is easy and there are moments where that journey is challenging. And just like this man that jumped on that bowl, uh, level one, it started off slow, got a little bit more difficult, thought he had accomplished everything he needed to, only to find out that there were more levels ahead. Uh, Paul's prayer here in Ephesians chapter 3 over the believers in Ephesus, I think certainly captures the reality that our faith journey is a journey, that it is a process, and that it, it just we don't reach spiritual maturity in a single moment, but it happens over time as we walk with Christ. We use the word walk because we know that it's a process, it's ongoing, it's not just an arrival point that we reach in a single moment, but it is a journey that we were on. Paul prayed this prayer for the believers to do what? To move up really the spiritual staircase to reach spiritual maturity. He prayed for the believers to experience the work of God in them to bring them to perfection. How many in this room long for that moment, for that spiritual maturity where we will be like Christ, but it's a journey, it's a process that we are all on. His prayer indicates that spiritual maturity That's the goal. That's what we're aiming for, to be like Christ, to be transformed completely into the image of Jesus Christ, the Son. But it's a journey, it's a process that we are all on. It takes several steps. There are several levels that that we have to encounter, and there are moments where it will be easy and moments where it will be difficult. But it's the goal, it's what we are aiming for, to be like him. But, But what was really the reason that Paul was praying this prayer over the people in Ephesus in the first place. Look at Ephesians, the very first part of our section, our our narrative this morning. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 14. This is how Paul begins this prayer. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Well, what reason is he talking about? We have to go a little bit further back before what he says here to understand really the, the heart behind what Paul is doing when he prays this prayer over the people in Ephesus. Here's a few things that we know earlier on in Ephesians. Number one, the Gentiles, the Gentiles had become a part of God's household. How? Through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So the Gentiles used to be outsiders who were looking in. It was the Jews who who were a part of that promise. But now the Gentiles, through the cross of Jesus Christ, they've been adopted into the family of God. And so now they're not just outsiders. They are insiders who have experienced the same thing that the Jews had experienced as well. We read in Ephesians 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off, what you have been brought near, How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. We read in Ephesians 2, verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers 
and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. He is not talking to the Jews here. He's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to outsiders. He is talking to those who did not initially inherit that that promise that was given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but now he is talking to Gentiles. And because of the blood of Jesus, because of the cross, Gentiles, outsiders, everybody, Jew and Gentile, has now been brought into the family of God. Secondly, though, we see earlier in Ephesians that God had brought together Jew and lost Gentile into one new community through the cross of Jesus Christ. That is an incredible feat. Uh, There was such division and hatred, and there still would be. There would be rivalry that would still uh, unfold. But now what we see through the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ, is that now every person has access to spend eternity with Christ because of what he accomplished on the cross. We read in Ephesians 2, verse 14, it says, For he himself, speaking of Jesus, he is our peace, who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, he made both groups into one. And what did he do on the cross? He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He knew, he knew this Gentile, Paul knew this Gentile audience, they had the resources at their disposal And they have now been given the privilege, just like you and I, to be made complete in Jesus Christ. This was not a a privilege that was just available to the Jews any longer. It had been made available to both Jews and Gentiles. And through the cross of Jesus Christ, he took those two groups and made one new community. And now we all have access to him. And we can all share in those blessings of Christ that he talked about earlier in chapter one. And so it was for this reason This reason that that the two became one, that that now both Gentiles and Jews have access to God and, and that now we can be made complete in Christ. It was for this reason that Paul bowed his knees and he began to pray this prayer over the congregation. Folks, the same resources, the same privilege is available to us today. So I wanna encourage us this morning as we hear the words of this prayer Ephesians chapter three, to take the same posture of prayer that Paul took and to seek to climb the spiritual staircase of spiritual maturity. Let me just, on a quick sidebar here this morning, I think if we're all honest, we, we are on the journey. We are walking with Christ, but, but we might be at different spots in that journey. But we're all climbing that spiritual staircase and we're doing it uh, to, to reach a goal. And the goal is to become like Christ, to reach spiritual maturity, to reach perfection. And, and, and I, don't think, I don't think there's anybody here in this room that's arrived at, at spiritual perfection. Yet if you have, talk to me afterwards and I'll remind you that you haven't arrived, all right? But that's the journey that you and I are on. We are on this this journey. We are climbing the spiritual steps to reach spiritual maturity where we will become like Christ. It is a journey. It is a process. And that's why Paul bows to his knees and he begins to pray over this congregation because he knows that's the goal. He knows that now these Gentiles, they have access and they have the same privileges and the same rights that the Jews have to experience that spiritual perfection. And so now Paul is going to bow to his knees. He's going to pray for this church that they would 
would become spiritually mature, that they would be transformed completely and fully into the image of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the prayer I pray over you in this congregation. As I walk through the sanctuary, I am praying that all of us, no matter where we are in our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ, my prayer is that we will reach spiritual maturity and perfection, that daily we are being conformed and transformed into the image of Christ. I wanna become like him. I hope that today I am more like Jesus Christ than I was yesterday. I know there's things that, that I need to work on. I know there's things that the Holy Spirit is convicting me of and I need to, to change and adjust and, and I need his help to do so. But I hope and pray that every single day I am becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And I hope that's your desire as well. And that's why, that's why Paul gets on his knees. He prays for this church. And that's why I'm calling this series Prayers with Paul because I wanna pray that prayer with him that we too would reach spiritual maturity, that, that we would become more and more like him. Uh, our, our vision statement here is to develop what biblically sound believers who reflect the character of Christ. Part of reflecting his character is allowing the character of Christ to be formed in us. And so that is, that is why Paul gets on his knees to pray. Now, just as kind of a side note, because we are in this series of prayer, here's a question that, that maybe we should consider. Is there a correct posture of prayer? When we pray, you know, should we be standing or kneeling, walking, eyes closed, eyes open? What does that look like? I don't think there's any place in scripture that says about eyes being closed or opened. Um, I sometimes tell you to close your eyes. We do that oftentimes just so we can kind of focus and eliminate any distractions around us. But, but it's a, a valid question to ask, is there a correct position or posture of prayer? Well, kneeling is what Paul is doing here. He, he bows on his knees and he begins to pray. What's interesting is that kneeling really wasn't a very common um, posture of prayer, especially in, in Jewish understanding. We read in Luke chapter 18, verse 11, says the Pharisee, he stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. So kneeling wasn't necessarily something that you saw very often, but it's what Paul does. And, and actually by kneeling in prayer, uh, this, this kneeling aspect actually indicates a deep sense of reverence, emotional intensity, and submission. And so as Paul gets on his knees and prays, he is, he is intently engaged with the presence of Christ and he is submitting to his lordship and he is giving reverence to the one who is on the throne. Let me just say this, if we're wondering what posture then is correct. Is there a correct one, not a correct one? Uh, it's not so much about taking the right posture when prayer as much it is it, as it is taking a posture of prayer in general. And, and so whatever that may be for you, maybe you're more comfortable kneeling. Uh, maybe it hurts to kneel and, and you don't wanna kneel for very long. That's fine if you wanna stand, if you wanna sit, at your, uh, sit in your chairs, if you wanna walk. And, and maybe you have various forms of, uh, of prayer when it comes to uh, the position or the context that you're in. But I just wanna encourage you, find a posture of prayer where you can best eliminate distractions, where you can meet with Jesus Christ and you can hear from him. And if walking around is distracting to you, then don't walk. If you need to be still so you can tune into the voice of God, then be still and tune into to his voice. Uh, but I wanna encourage you. It's not about what position is correct as much as it is, find a posture of prayer where you can meet with God and where you can hear his voice. How many wanna hear from the voice of God, amen? And so find that position, that posture. Maybe you need to go into a literal closet and shut yourself away from um, your kids or, um, or whoever, the telephone or the TV or whatever you have on, just so you can focus in. If that's the posture of prayer that works for you, where you can hear God's voice, then take 
that posture. Paul was also confident that his prayers would be heard and answered because he prayed to the one who had, he says in the text, unlimited resources. So to be transformed into the perfect image of the Son and to obtain spiritual maturity, which I think all of us in this room, that's the goal, that's the desire. We need to pray this prayer with Paul. I wanna unpack this prayer just real briefly this morning. Four things I wanna share with you. Number one, as we pray this prayer with Paul, we need God's power to make certain that Christ is at the center of our lives. Look at our text again, Ephesians chapter three, verses 16 and 17. I pray, Paul writes this, I pray that from God's or from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Let me unpack that this morning for us. There are two petitions, two prayers that are offered up by Paul at the beginning. Number one, there is a request for the inner man to be strengthened. We read in verse 16, I pray that from his glorious and limited resources that he will empower your inner man. And there is a second request for Christ to do what? To make his home in our hearts. We read that in verse 17, Christ then will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Now, let me just, this is kind of a teaching moment, so work with me for just a moment. The indwelling of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit is, in this case, is synonymous with Christ dwelling in our hearts. Let me explain this in Scripture. John chapter 14. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14. He says, and I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. And then in Romans chapter eight, Paul writes these words, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even through your body, even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies. And so the indwelling of the spirit is synonymous here with Christ dwelling in our hearts. That is key because I want us to hear Paul's prayer this morning. So as Christ, work with me here, as Christ through the spirit then dwells in our hearts, he, Christ, or the spirit of Christ is doing what? He is strengthening our inner man. And that's what Paul, he is talking to a Gentile audience who have now been allowed to, to experience and receive the blessings of Christ because of what he did at Calvary. And he's talking to this audience and he is praying over them that they would reach a place of spiritual maturity. In order to get there, he is praying for these people, these believers to have the spirit of Christ or the spirit, the spirit indwelling in the inner man to strengthen that inner man so they can become more and more like Christ. So he Here's, here's the question that we have to consider. Is Christ truly making his home in your hearts? I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that for yourself. But, but what does it mean to have Christ to, to have Christ make his home in our hearts? Um, just go on this journey with me for just a moment this morning. There are two Greek words that are used for dwelling. 
And it talks about Christ making his home in our heart, uh, dwelling in our hearts. There are actually two separate words that can be used for dwelling in the Greek. The first word is peroiko. And it means to inhabit a place as a stranger and living away from home. Let me give you an example from scripture in Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. It says, so now you Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. The, the Greek word there for foreigners, for foreigners is peroiko, which means an inhabitant of a place as a stranger or living away from home. And what Paul is saying, you are no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. You're no longer kind of on the outside looking in. Instead, you have been brought into the family of God. That's one use of the word dwell. But there is another Greek word, and it's actually the word that is used in our text. And it is katoikeo. And it means to settle down somewhere. Uh, a permanent abode, uh, to make this your place of residence. It's, it speaks of permanence. It's not, it's not just like being somewhere as a guest overnight in a hotel and then leaving the next day and, and, and going to another place. It's speaking of your home, your abode. It speaks of permanence. That is the word that's being he used here when it speaks of Christ making his home or his dwelling, his permanence in our hearts. One writer, Bishop Hanley Mole, says this, the word that is selected here is a word made expressively to denote residence as against lodging. The abode of a master within his own home as against the turning aside for a night of the wayfarer who will be gone tomorrow. So here's, here's the prayer Paul is praying over this, these believers and here's the question that we then have to ask ourselves. Is Christ, is he merely a guest in our hearts? Or is he taken up permanent residence inside of our life? Folks, I hope and pray that Jesus Christ isn't just some guest that we allow in occasionally or, or we, we look for him when things maybe aren't going so well, but when things are going so well, we, we, we dismiss him. But we have to ask ourselves, is he just a guest who comes and goes whenever we want him or has he taken up permanent residence in our heart and in our life? We have to answer that question and part of walking with Christ is making certain that he is taking a place of permanent residence in our heart and in our life. Christ making his home as a permanent resident in our heart, it allows for our inner man to be strengthened daily and for Christ to then rule our life. Number two, as Paul continues to pray this prayer, what's kind of that, that next spiritual staircase? We need God's power to do what? To make certain that we are marked by Christ-like love. Um, I, I think as believers, we need to make certain that, that our life exudes the love of Christ, that, that we are marked by his love, not some definition of love that our, that our uh, world or our culture has put on it. But we want to live as believers who are faithful to Christ and we are marked by his love. What does he say? Ephesians 3, verse 17, he says, your roots will grow down into God's love and will keep you strong. And, and so when we think about this, this Christ-like love, what do we know? First of all, we know that love is central to the heart and character of God. 
I mean, think about it. The law can be summed up with two great commands. What are they? Love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourself. And really all of the law and prophets hang on those two commandments, to love God and our vertical relationship with him and to love our neighbor as ourself. That speaks of our horizontal relationships. And so Paul is praying for these believers to have roots that grow deep into God's love so that their life would reflect the love and the character of Jesus Christ, so that they would walk not in some, Uh, distorted version of love, but that their life would reflect the true love of Jesus Christ. And what does Paul say to the church in Corinth? He speaks about three great virtues. Uh, Chapter 13, at the very end, he says, these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. And again, it's not some distorted version of love, but it's, it's sacrificial. It, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love is patient and kind and, and humble, and, and it doesn't keep record of wrongs. That is our understanding of Christ-like love. Here, Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus to do what? To have roots that grow down into God's love, to have a firm foundation for depth. Talked last week about um, you know moving out of the shallow waters of our relationship with God and and moving into the deep waters and Paul is essentially praying the same here uh, once again for this congregation he is praying that they would be spiritually that they would spiritually grow in their relationship with Christ that they would begin to get out of those shallow waters and start to get into the deep waters where they experience the depth of the love of Christ this is not a request for superficial love that instead this is a love that goes deep, love that flows from Christ who has made his home in our hearts. To love across deep divides certainly required, required the strengthening of the inner man. In order for these Gentiles, maybe it wouldn't be so hard for them to love God, but, but keep in mind the context. We're talking about Gentiles and Jews. They hated each other. They despised each other, but Paul is praying that the love would so fill the hearts and lives of these Gentiles that they would be able to love across even these barriers, these divides that existed. There was great racial and cultural divides between Gentiles and Jews. Yet now the two were a part of God's family and love for one another certainly marked this new community. So Paul was praying for these believers to have deep roots and firm foundations. Christ-like love can be obtained when Christ dwells in our hearts. And as Christ dwells in our hearts, the spirit begins to strengthen the inner man. You see, you see the spiritual staircase here. We, we, Paul is praying first that Christ would dwell in their hearts. And as Christ makes his home in your heart and in my heart, what happens? Then Christ, the, the spirit begins to strengthen our inner man so that we can become more and more like Christ. And so it's not just a work that we do. It's a work that Christ is doing in us. And we are partnering with him as that occurs. Christ-like love manifests itself in a very unique form, unlike any other Love. Number three, then, we need God's power to comprehend the love of Christ. Anybody in this room that understands completely and fully the love of Jesus Christ? Anybody? I didn't think so. Me neither. But we need, we need the power of God to help us comprehend that love. What does Paul pray? He says this, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. 
Um, it's kind of encouraging. Uh, I, I, when I read that, I, I laugh initially because he's praying that they would um, have the power to understand the whole breadth and depth of God's love. And then he ends with, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. So he's praying. <laughs> he's praying for them to have complete, full understanding. But then he reminds them, but you're not going to fully understand until we see him you know, face to face. Paul was praying for the believers to grasp. Essentially, he was just praying that they would grasp the matchless love of Christ. I love what John Stott has to say about it. This is what he says. Yet it seems to me legitimate to say that the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, especially Jews and Gentiles, the theme of these chapters, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner and high enough to exalt him to the heaven. Um, When we talk about the matchless love of Christ, it is broad enough, long enough, deep enough, and high enough to do what only God, to do what only Christ can do. Note, this was not a prayer to love Christ more. It's not what Paul was necessarily praying here, but instead to understand the love of Christ more fully. If we get to a place, like John Stott says, where we can understand that his love, it is deep enough to go to the depths to reach even the person that we think is way too far out of God's reach. Guess what? His love can still reach that person. There is no person too far, no person too far gone um, from the love of Christ that he is unable to reach. Maybe some of you are here in this room today and you've experienced that, or maybe you have children or grandchildren that have experienced that where you thought they were too far gone, but God brought them back because his love, it is high, it is deep, it is long, it is broad, and it is able to do what only he is capable of doing. I am convinced that the more we comprehend the matchless love of Christ, our love for Christ and our love for others will better reflect the heart of God. So that's, that's what Paul is praying and that's what we need to be praying for ourselves, for the church, that we would begin to grasp and compre- comprehend the matchless love of Jesus Christ because when we begin to understand it more fully, are we gonna understand it fully here and now? No, but as we understand more fully the love of Christ, as our, as our walk with Christ grows deeper and stronger, then I believe and I am convinced that my love for him my love for him will be much stronger and my love for others will better reflect the heart of God. But, but if we cannot grasp and understand his love and, and we don't even give attention to it, then how are we going to love in a Christ-like manner that reflects his heart? We won't. And so that's why Paul is praying that they would understand, that they would comprehend the matchless love of Christ. And as they do, their love for him will grow stronger, their love for others will better reflect his heart. Uh, This was more than just a simple mental exercise or intellectual reflection. This was a cry for the people to experience the incredible matchless love of Jesus Christ. The story in scripture comes to mind. Um, Peter, James, and John, disciples of Jesus, they spent a lot of time, they spent three years watching Jesus do miracles, watching him heal, watching him teach, listening to him teach. They got to see a lot of incredible things and they were beginning to understand. They didn't understand fully, but they were beginning to understand the love of Christ and and beginning to understand the mission of God as they spent time with Jesus. 
But I think there was, at least for Peter, James, and John, I would like to think there was kind of a key moment for them when they had the privilege to ascend the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And if you remember at the top of the mountain, Peter, James, and John, the rest of them were still down at the bottom of the mountain. Peter, James, and John, they've watched. They've seen a lot of great things. They've seen Jesus do incredible miracles. But they get to the top of the mountain, and in that moment, Jesus is transfigured before them. You have Moses and Elijah appear who represent the law and the prophets. And now standing before them, you have Moses and Elijah and Jesus who have been transfigured before them. And Peter, James, and John, they are experiencing an aspect of Jesus that they've not experienced before. And and they're human just like you and I because they go down the bottom of the mountain and all of a sudden they almost forget what just happened. Uh, But but in that moment, I think that was a transforming moment where, where they begin to grasp and understand more fully the mission and the heart, the God that they served. I think that's why it's important that, that we gather together on Sunday mornings and, and in corporate worship where we enter into the presence of God as we sing songs of praise and as we spend time praying here at the altar or, or engaging ourselves in the word of God, we are putting ourselves in positions where we can hear from God, where we can experience his presence in powerful ways. And, and folks, that's what, Peter, that's what happened for Peter, James, and John. And that's what Paul is praying for these believers, that they would so experience the love of Christ. They're not going to understand it fully, but he's praying that they would experience it more and more so that they would be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. They're walking up those spiritual staircases to reach spiritual maturity, and Paul is praying that they would reach that end. Yet even then, his love is inexhaustible and unknowable. The beautiful thing about Jesus Christ and his love and the word of God is there is always more to know and experience. We cannot know everything there is to know about God. We cannot experience everything there is to experience with Jesus Christ. There is more to know, more to experience. And that is the beautiful thing about serving him and walking with him. Finally, number four, we need God's power to become like Christ. How many want to become like him? Amen. Ephesians 3.19, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. This final petition, it's a request for Christ-like perfection. We see it elsewhere in Scripture. Jesus will say himself in Matthew 5.48, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. It wasn't a cry or a call for perfection in that moment, but it was a cry and a call for them to become more and more like Christ, who is perfect. We read Peter, he says it for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Again, a cry for spiritual maturity and growth to become more and more like him. Christ-likeness, folks, this is key. Christ-likeness should be the desire of every believer. If you forgot everything else that I said, if maybe you remember the Greek words, that's great, um, but I don't care if you remember those or not. But what I want you to hear this morning and what I want you to remember is that Christ-likeness should be and must be the desire of every single believer. We should long to become more and more like him. We should long to reflect his character better each and every day. And as we submit to the work of Christ in us, he will daily conform us into his image. Paul says it so beautifully 2 Corinthians chapter 3, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord 
And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Christ-likeness. That's what Paul was praying for. As he got down on his knees, he bowed down and he began to pray over that congregation. He wasn't just praying that they would know more about Christ. He wasn't just praying you know, that they would have one, a one-time experience with him. Paul was praying that this congregation, that these believers, these Gentile believers who have been welcomed in to the family of God would so long for Christ-likeness that they would make certain that Christ was making his home in their hearts. And as Christ makes his home in our hearts, then the Spirit begins to strengthen that inner man. He begins to help us comprehend the matchless love of Christ. And he begins to change us and conform us and transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, his son. But it all begins with making certain that Jesus Christ is not just simply a guest in our home. But we need to make certain that Christ has taken permanent residence in our hearts and in our life. Because when he has, and when he is sitting at the, on the throne of our hearts, then the spirit of Christ will begin to change us, transform us, and make us look more and more like him. It will change how we think. It will change how we respond. It will change how we act and, and, and obey. And it will change our attitudes. And what happens is we begin to um, reflect and, and, and seek after the fruit of the spirit. And, and now all of a sudden, joy and love and peace and patience, all of those things will begin to exude from our lives. Why? Because the spirit of Christ, Christ has made his home in our hearts and as we pray, we are praying, Christ, make us more like you. Transform us and mold us into your image. So when Jesus says, worship team, if you wanna come, when he simply says in Matthew 5, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect, Jesus is just simply saying, I am the standard. As believers, our objective and our goal is not to to look less and less like the world, though that's not necessarily a bad thing. But our objective as believers is to look more and more like Christ. And as we are conformed to his image and we look more and more like him, but just naturally speaking, we're gonna look less and less like the world. He is the standard and that is what we should be shooting for. Paul is praying for the believers in Ephesus to be transformed into the image of Christ and for these believers to grow daily in Christ so that one day they will reach spiritual maturity. So let's pray with Paul for Christ-like growth that will lead to Christ-like perfection. Would you stand with me?